Welcome back to the new series of the Move Against Cancer podcast, the show where we talk to brilliant guests to help support and inspire people that are affected by cancer. Visit our website, movecharity.org, for more information on the work that we do. I'm your host, Sophie, and in this episode, I'll be speaking with two incredible young people, Mel and Gemma, and today we'll talk to them about their story and their journey through living with and beyond cancer. I am delighted to kick off our new series by welcoming Mel and Gemma, who are two young people who have been through the MOVE eight-week online program, and they have very kindly volunteered their time today to be guests on our podcast and chat to you a little bit about their stories, their experience of cancer, how their movement was impacted during their cancer treatment, um, and how they had to learn new ways to to move their bodies, how to exercise, how to combat the some of the physical side effects of cancer treatment. And then we're also just going to chat about any sort of, you know, any advice they'd give the, themselves when they were back, when they sort of at that moment of diagnosis, um, sort of what they know now and and how they that would transpire into what they'd tell um, themselves before cancer treatment. So I am delighted to welcome Mel and Gemma. So um, let's kick off. Let's tell people a little bit more about you. I'm sure they're sick of the sounds of me now, but done a couple of these episodes. So um, I think let's hand over to you now and let you tell your story. So Mel, you're at the top of my screen. Let's start with you, please. Yeah, just, cool. just go ahead, take the stage. <laughs> yeah, so my name's Mel and Back in September of 2022, I started having headaches. Um, so first port of call, I thought I'll visit the doctors and get my eyes checked. The opticians, sorry, and get my eyes checked. Um, and when I went to the opticians, they said my vision was fine. Um, and if I was suffering from migraines, I was to go to my doctors. Uh, upon visiting my doctors then in October of last year, um, I was diagnosed with a sinus infection. Um, my symptoms for said sinus infection included um, headaches um, when I was bending down to tie my laces. I had like this pulsing sensation in my head, uh, just really dizzy, dizzy all the time. And I didn't, I just knew I wasn't right. Um, and they diagnosed me with a sinus infection. A few, few days later, um, after the meds I was put on, I found myself back in the GP surgery visiting this time an out of hours doctor um and they said to me about my symptoms and stuff like that and they turned around and said to me oh it's nothing neurological don't worry you'll be fine so push came to shove I finished the medication I was on and then I went back to my doctors um and seeing another GP this time I was going under tests and I was having blood tests done and things like that and I was then diagnosed with migraines and placed on migraine medication and then towards the end of November following all the tests um, I started to lose my vision and at the time I thought my vision loss was a side effect to the medication I was on for migraines Um, so I rang the doctors and they told me to fill out an e-consult and then within two weeks someone would get back to me two weeks later a doctor rang me back but between me um, filling out the sea console and the doctors getting back to me, I went on holiday to five days to Lanzarote. Lovely, had a lovely holiday. <laughs> um, came back and then worked Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then had the call on the Monday. Uh, and it was a different GP again. So I 
had to explain myself and say the symptoms I was presenting with. Um, I was told to up my migraine medication. And then I was also told to go and see an ophthalmologist due to my vision loss um, and this pain that I had in the back of my right ear, which kind of came out of nowhere. So within the hour, I was seen by an ophthalmologist um, on the 19th of December. I was booked in for a provisional MRI on the 23rd of December through the doctors following a blood test that came back high in prolactin. Uh, so things were on my radar then and things started adding up. Um, I took to Google, which I've been told off frequently <laughs> uh, about, but all of my symptoms that I was presenting with, everything linked to uh, a diagnosis of a brain tumour. So I started telling my friends, I think I've got a brain tumour, you know, and being 22 at the time, they were like, no, don't be silly. It'll be something else. You'll be fine. Um, and after I had this um, eye test done by the ophthalmologist, um, they said I needed to go to the hospital straight away to have a CT scan. He could see that something was there, but he didn't want to frighten me or say anything else until I'd had a scan. I uh, had a scan at my local hospital and um, actually, sorry, backtrack. Um, I said to, I turned around and said to the ophthalmologist, I said, do I need, do I need to go now? I was like, I've got an MRI booked in for this Friday. Uh, and he turned around and said to me, you need to go now. It's already been left too long. And when someone who's a medical professional turns around and says that to you, you start thinking different things then, don't you? So I had the scan uh, and then... A few hours later, I was told I had a brain tumour. Um, I was blue lighted to the Walton Centre over in Liverpool. Uh, I underwent more tests the Tuesday, Wednesday, and then my now consultant came to see me on the Thursday and said, uh, basically, we've been to a multidisciplinary team meeting over it. Um, it is a brain tumour. Um, we're going to go in next Friday to operate, but just so I've got the full picture how did you end up here so I told him I had my eyes tested um, and he left and then came back 10-15 minutes later and he said I've just looked at your eye scans I didn't realize how bad it was he said we're going in first thing in the morning so for it to be brought forward by a week I was oh bet you were terrified <laughs> yeah um I was still trying to get to grips with the fact that I was diagnosed with a brain tumour and where I was and what was going on and stuff like that. Um, but I think at this point now I knew the diagnosis and what was going on. I just wanted I just wanted out. I just wanted to start whatever treatment it was as soon as possible before it got any worse. Was it almost like relief though? Because that's a long time that you were having symptoms and <laughs> like nothing actually come about of it you were just getting past to me it just sounded like you were getting passed from pillar to post so was there almost I know it was obviously really terrifying like I've been being there myself when you get told yeah. that news but was there also a sense of relief almost that you were like oh that I was right like that's what this is what it is this is what can be done about it did you feel yeah, that so it's funny you say that actually because when I was when I had the scan and I was diagnosed and was told I had a brain tumor in our park um the first thing I done was I just sobbed sobbed my heart out um because I didn't I didn't know I didn't know what it was I didn't know what it meant I didn't know I didn't know what was going to happen um so the first thing I actually said to the doctor when she said I'm so sorry to tell you you've got a brain tumor the first thing I said was thank you 
and she looked at me and she was like why are you thanking me and I said I've been ill for months and I've had this gut feeling that I was ill and I didn't know what it was um and I was like you've literally told me within I don't know five hours say however long I was in A&E you've literally told me why I've been ill for so many months and no one else has listened to me basically yeah I totally understand that and I feel feel like you know even if someone's listening and they haven't had cancer that that will resonate with them because when you everyone you know your own body better than anyone and when something's not right and it must have just been so so frustrating to have had that go on for so long and have these be told it's migraines it's oh you know you need glasses you need the, like so, <laughs> do you know what I mean that must just have been so so frustrating um yeah so obviously you got your diagnosis you had your surgery it was just before Christmas wasn't it I mean I know we chatted about this before but was it just before Christmas yeah so I was diagnosed on the 19th of December and I underwent a full craniotomy on the 23rd of December Oh, what a Christmas yeah, right present. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but yeah, then, you know, I suppose that was quite quick in terms of, like, you knew what was happening. The surgery was penciled in for the next day. And then you yeah. you just, you know, and then it was sort of, was it just recovery from there? Or did you need any further treatment? Uh, yeah, no. So from there, I've been quite um lucky they've managed to remove 95% of the tumor so now it's just routine scans and uh routine eye checks every two months mm-hmm. and how does that feel to just know that you know that side of things is is going well it's a it's a relief to be honest uh but again even looking back now it's something I never would have expected or um, if you'd have said to me, I don't know, I say this time last year, but I was ill this time last year. <laughs> if you'd have said to me, like in June of last year or whatever, this is going to happen in six months, I wouldn't have believed a word of it. Uh, yeah, yeah crazy. the whirlwind. That's one way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, obviously, amazing that you're doing so well, and obviously, we'll come back to some of the amazing things that you've been doing since. <laughs> since you know you've had surgery and things but um Gemma I think obviously you were nodding your head throughout that as if a lot of what Mel was saying was resonating with you it did it really did um yeah I I didn't have probably the amount of like pushback from like the medical professionals like through throughout mine but um so I was diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma um in September 2022 um, but the process before that and like getting there, I think I had um, like different symptoms, which they gradually, you know, when you put them together and you then start to think, OK, maybe this is the reason why I am feeling unwell. Um, so, yeah. So in like 2021, I sort of experienced like a lot of like fatigue and stuff, um, like going back to work. So I thought, okay, well, maybe that's something related to work, right? So I work in research um, as a research assistant. Um, And obviously we do, you know, you do a lot of like research and stuff, looking up papers and things to try and like come up with a reason for and problem solve, right? So that's kind of the way that my thought process is anyway. Um, But in January um, of like 2022, I my I have psoriasis so my psoriasis actually just it became 
it, I was having like a flare, but it was just going all over my body. And I also had like really itchy skin. Um, but the thing is, it was really sporadic at the time. So it, it wasn't sort of consistent. And so I just put down that itchiness to just being a psoriasis. Um, I'd like phoned a doctor to try and get some, you know, some medication or something for it. Um, and yeah, they just put it down to the psoriasis basically. Um, and it didn't, you know, the, the itching didn't stop. Um, I became like sort of more and more like fatigued and tired. Um, and sort of work became harder, you know, it's harder to get up in the morning, like to get yourself out of bed to go to work. So then I sort of think, okay, maybe, you know, I'm just probably really low, like maybe there's, you know, something going on there, like maybe mentally. Um, but then I started to notice a lump on my neck. Um, and that lump, like, it wasn't like a hard one, like, you know, like you typically hear about, but as time went on, as I sort of pressed like deeper into my neck, it started to become harder. So I, um, well, I spoke to like my partner at the time who that we only, we'd only recently sort of started like dating and stuff, but I'd, you know, I said to him, this isn't right, is it? Like, this isn't right. And obviously I've done a bit of Googling and I was like, this could be, this could be cancer. Um, and it was like, yeah, you need to go and get that checked out. You know, if, if I have to, I'll take you. Um, and I said, okay, so I made an appointment and that appointment was in, in two weeks time. And so that appointment was in July and, um, on, you know, the NHS website, it says, you know, two weeks for neck lumps to go. So I knew then that if I went there, they can't tell me that it's some kind of infection or something like they can't, right. They can't. And so I went there and the doctor, um, he said to me, he was like, 96% of neck lumps, they are, you know, they're nothing to be concerned about. Um, but, you know, obviously there's always that, the remaining percentage. Um, I also, so I said to him about all the symptoms that I was experiencing, um, the itchiness, which at this point, it was like keeping me up at night. Um, I sort of said to him as well, like my, like my menstrual cycle has not been, because I, I track it and everything, it's not been right. Like something is seriously wrong. And he was sort of nodding at me and, you know, his face sort of changed. And um, he was like, all right, let's do a blood test now. He's like, let's do a blood test now. And um, and also, like, actually, like, a key detail that I forgot to say, I have a history of cancer in my family. Um, and so I told this to the doctor. And um, so basically my, my younger brother was diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma um, in 2016. Um, yeah, so... And obviously now he's, you know, he's had his like five years and everything. Like he's, you know, through remission, everything he's got the, you know, um, kind of like the, that all clear inverted commas. Um, and so I told this to the doctor. And so, you know, all of these things were piling, piling up. Right. And um, he'd sent these blood tests away um, and he made a referral for me um, to the hematology department. Um, and they then um wanted more blood tests done because they needed to see that you know if there are certain viruses and stuff that you've had before in the past so they did all those tests they did some extra tests um and then um i had an ultrasound where they took some biopsies um and that was you know it's a very invasive you know i think throughout you know the whole 
figuring out what type of cancer you have, what stage you have. It's it's such an invasive um, process. Um, so obviously that was very scary. Um, and then um, after the ultrasound um, and the biopsy, um, I I also went away on holiday. Um, I went, yeah, I went away um, to see some friends in America and we did like a tour up to Canada. Um, and when I came back, well, I actually had a phone call when I was away in um, America and the doctor had said to me, um, have you, has the, ho- has the hospital been in contact with you yet um, to explain, you know, to talk about your results? And I said, no, she said, okay. She was like, where are you at the moment? And I was like, you know, I'm away. Um, and she was like, okay, I'll arrange, uh, you know, you'd have this consultation when you're back. Um, so she didn't tell me um, anything then. Um, so I came back um, and then I had an appointment um, with the hematology um, consultant and I was told then um, that I had Hodgkin lymphoma and the thing is for a long time I kind of invalidated myself by saying you know this is this isn't related to this or you know you almost tell yourself or maybe it's like a denial thing um but then like piecing it all together and sort of being adamant you know that it was you know it was this and actually having a doctor that listened to me and who yeah like and he said to me after um he said you know you coming in here it's actually changed my view of like people coming in with neck clumps basically um so so yeah so then I had um I had scans in October um, to stage it. And then I started chemotherapy in October. Um, actually, it, it's a year tomorrow. Um, so 6th of October, I started chemotherapy. Um, and yeah, I finished in, uh, I finished, well, it was supposed to finish on my birthday on the 15th of December, um, but actually it finished the day after. Um, and then I was told um, at the end of the year that, um, I'd responded well to the chemotherapy and I didn't need any further treatment so oh that's another although do you know what although again it was a really long process before diagnosis like your look where you are now you know like it's it is sort of like it's brilliant to hear that um just touching on something you did say about your your brother obviously like I've, I've never heard of that before and like doing the job that I do like I speak to a lot of people with different cancers and some of the weird wonderful cancers there are out there but I've never heard of siblings having the same cancer is that I'm sure that was pretty unusual as well for the doctors yeah yeah but they didn't seem as interested in it as I thought they would be um yeah they said oh yeah I thought they'd be like all over that but (laughs) yeah no um I asked them about you know like the genetic components of this and you know all of that sort of stuff that you know I'm interested in like you know but yeah they they didn't seem too kind of curious to take it further I said you know you can have my blood and I'm sure my brother will also you know you can take yeah (laughs) there's enough of it been taken away that is the researcher coming out in you isn't it definitely that is the so you in terms of the research that you do was it research like cancer research you were doing or or something not directly um so I work in developmental genetics so understanding like genes and pathways um that are involved in development 
Um, and actually you find that in, you know, certain cancers or like with cancer stem cells and stuff, they actually use those developmental pathways or they hijack them. Um, so if you understand how things sort of work normally, like, you know, in development, then you can understand when things sort of um, are working abnormally or like there's a dysfunction in them. Um, so, yeah, so it's not directly related, but it can actually help with the application of, you know. Yeah cancer research so yeah yeah oh i think you should get a pot of your blood and a pot of your brothers <laughs> you yeah. investigate it. Yeah. <laughs> there's a job for yeah there you go. <laughs> um but no obviously like that's you know uh, so you're both really young i was 19 when i was diagnosed with cancer um so i know what it is like to be so so young and you do although you're thinking oh no I'm too young to get cancer you do turn to google and um i was actually the opposite to you two though so i had loads and loads of symptoms and didn't put any of them together um so the way you two had an inkling i had no, mm. honestly i had not a scooby doo that it was i just had i just put it down to uni so fatigue but to the point where i was like vomiting if i had to like walk up like an incline um and i just was like oh i'm just really tired didn't eat my breakfast this morning that's why i'm sick um I had like platelet rashes where obviously my platelets were really low I would scratch my skin my mum told me I was scratching too hard so that again we didn't <laughs> didn't have a clue what that was I had bru tell a lie I had a massive bruise on my leg and my mum said to me um oh that's a sign of leukemia but she was like joking and so again we didn't and yeah, lo loads of other things like weight loss. But I was like saying to people, oh no, I've got a holiday booked to Mexico. I'm trying to lose weight and things. So unlike you two being on it, I was totally oblivious. <laughs> and then it was only afterwards, they were like, have you had this symptom? Have you had this? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've had all of that, but just didn't didn't put it together. So you two were, were always one step ahead. I was one step behind. <laughs> um, so I know obviously both of you are, sort of like active and stuff before um your diagnosis so um Mel we'll start with you um I know sort of being active was it was your life it wasn't part of your life it was your life like you, you, you do you know what you tell the story because yeah, I won't do justice <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so before I was diagnosed I um I was a karate instructor uh, four times a week, so I'm a black belt in karate, um, taking two kids' classes and an adult's class a week, and then training myself on top of that. I was in university studying um, a sports degree to become a teacher. I'm a qualified paddle sport and water sports instructor. So funnily enough, the day I was diagnosed, a few hours prior to that, I had an interview to go back to the south of France this summer. Um, obviously I was, I received an email when I was in hospital to say that I had, uh, I'd got the job, uh, but obviously I emailed her back, obviously not realizing what day it was. It was actually Christmas day. <laughs> I emailed her and said, uh, just give me a call when you can. And then came home and basically she rang me and I just cried down the phone for about an hour and said, I said, it's such a short space of time, but I was like, Literally, when I came off the phone to you, I had to go to the hospital and X, Y and Z happened and now I'm just in recovery. I can't drive, I can't fly and everything else in between. Um, so I was I was I was gutted about that, to be honest, because it was something that I love and it's the type of job that 
eventually I would probably want to do full time as a career. Uh, so as well as that, I was um, a I was training as, as a personal trainer as well. So I had a few people that they were letting me like use them as a what shall we say? <laughs> um, like practicing on them and coaching them and stuff like that so I was non-stop really I'd, I was um, a sports coach in in schools in the daytime so I'd go out at like eight o'clock in the morning I wouldn't be getting home till nine ten o'clock at night and it got to the point where I was doing that too often and then I started a, a second job as well that it got to the point where I thought am I just absolutely shattered from working two jobs seven days a week um I didn't know I didn't know what was going on but then um something that Gemma said before about uh, her cycles and stuff being out of sync like mine were I mean I'm not on the pill or anything like that but I'm usually regular like clockwork um and I would bleed for say like I don't know seven days or whatever it might be and then uh, I would come off and then a few days later I would be spotting and bleeding again um and to be honest that was probably the first symptom that I had I don't know if it was related to the tumor or what but since I've had surgery and I've been in recovery it actually hasn't happened again since um but that was happening probably most of last year um and I just never picked up on it until other things that I thought were more serious started happening uh so yeah I was pretty active <laughs> um prior just a bit. To, uh, yeah just, just just a little bit yeah and when you went obviously you had surgery and um you were in recovery and things what were you told by your medical team in terms of, like did they know how active you what you were and that that was something that you did want to get back into how, what was their sort of advice to you if any yeah so um I think they did kind of know how active I was like when I came out of surgery um, well, before I went into surgery on the Thursday night when I was talking to the uh, consultant, he was like, give me all the, the lowdowns on what could happen in surgery and like I could potentially use, uh, lose the use of my limbs if there's like a little nick or I might not be able to walk again or like all these different things he kept telling me. And then obviously if it was the big one, I could potentially go into surgery and then not come back out. Um, and I think for me, that was the big one when he was like, oh, you might lose the use of your limbs I was thinking the first thing I thought was oh my god I won't be able to go back to karate <laughs> not that I'll never be able to walk again or something like that it was I won't be able to go back to something that I've loved and I've, I've done it five days a week since I was eight years old and I'm now 23 so it's it's been a massive part of my life and even socially as well I think if it wasn't for the uh, social side of karate it'd be a completely different story but it's all the social aspect that comes with it as well uh, so I think sorry when I came out of surgery then on the uh, the Friday or whatever it was and the medical staff came to see me over the weekend which was Christmas weekend they were like oh how are you getting on and I was like yeah good and all the rest of it and then I remember the first question I asked my uh, clinical nurse specialist was when can I go back to karate <laughs> not when can I go home when can I go back to karate um and then I was discharged uh, a few days later and then ever since then I've always gone back into like the um out out of uh the outpatient department or whatever and 
that's always the first question I ask of when can I go back to karate like am I getting better enough to go back yet and then they turned around and said to me it's going to at least be 18 months and I was heartbroken <laughs> yeah so you're still in that are you still within that 18 months now obviously of, yeah yeah oh yeah, that must so... be so difficult like because it's like your routine and everything isn't it like what you did have and yeah it's, that is really tough I've gone back to the coaching side of it so I'm coaching the kids and I'm coaching the adults and if I need time off like I can have it then like they're they're quite easy and flexible and understanding to be fair about the whole situation but um I think I just want to get back into the physical side of it now rather than like the coaching side of it and I think that's probably what I'm missing most yeah 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 I mean I think yeah a lot of people can totally relate to that and I think for you I think the standout thing is that what I said earlier like this wasn't a hobby for you it is your life like it was your life um 100%. and so for you know cancer changes a lot of things but for you it did it completely came in and and tore that part of your life away from you um yeah. which yeah it must it man it still must be I know, I know you're back like coaching and stuff but it must be really tough to take yeah <laughs> yeah Gemma what about you um you were again nodding your head yeah. <laughs> as Mel um, was chatting there yeah um so I guess before um I was diagnosed and before I went through treatment um I did uh I did look uh lots of like sort of like different things like so um I did a lot of like pole and like aerial arts so like hoop and silks um aerial yoga um, so going to like different classes and stuff. Um, Can I just say that takes serious strength. I, yeah, have, I, I have, that is serious, serious like hardcore strength. Yeah. Can I just say sorry? I've tried to do the silks and it is the hardest thing ever. I can't. Here do it. we go. Oh, I love hardcore. It. The feeling of being upside down. That's that's the reason why like I do it. I guess. Um, but, but yeah, so I did like a lot of polling in uni um and that was sort of like a big part of like my my time there um and it was like the community thing you know we you you big each other up you you are so like proud of each other for getting certain moves and things um I don't know you're each other's cheerleaders and and it's it's a really lovely space to sort of be in um and you you know you realize that you can do like all sorts of things with your body that you never thought you could um so it actually was really good for sort of building like my self-confidence and my self-esteem um so I had that and then also I did a lot of like roller skating um yeah I I thought I'd just try it and learn it and it became a really lovely outlet um where I could just sort of like just roll around (laughs) so yeah and um and also I did a bit of dance as well like contemporary but all of these things like were in mind to make me better at pole um so I, I like tried some calisthenics as well like so I could I know so I could do moves and stuff that I never thought I could do um and um and basically after the diagnosis I so I couldn't do like the roller skating or anything like anymore with at risk of injury um and like with pole I couldn't really do it as much like I think it was sort of the the going into classes and stuff and you know with the immunosuppression there obviously is that like a lot of the fear there and obviously you don't have the energy that you did in the past to be able to you know 
pull yourself up and to get into these moves or even have the stamina to do even like a short choreography or anything um and yeah so I felt like that was like a big part of me that had been taken away it was it was an outlet it was like a stress relief because you know my job was really stressful and for me even though I loved it like obviously it's quite a um it's a competitive environment and stuff in science um so for me having that outlet was a way that I could just sort of express myself um like through dance and and through movement um but as sort of the time went on with like the chemotherapy it was it was really difficult to sort of get back to you know being able to do what I was doing like you know I couldn't even attempt some of the stuff that I was able to do before um but I did you know a couple of times like I did go to the studio because my friend she she like owned the studio and she let me go in like every now and then um which I was really like, thankful for her um that she let me do that and that was nice to be able to sort of move like in a way um and and to like you know feel a little bit free again <laughs> like being able to like you know hang ups and down and things but yeah um over time like I actually had lots of issues like with my back um so like after treat and you know with my arms and things and like after treatment um I couldn't even like put on some trousers and you, you know because my back was in so much pain um and and actually through like working um like with move um i was able to do certain like exercises to try and strengthen like my strengthen like the core and stuff around like and to strengthen like my back um which actually meant that i could it, it was like a smallest the smallest achievement is i could do this like roll i could roll up right without feeling pain and that was just it was amazing i was like i can i can do this so that actually gave me like the confidence to start to do a bit of aerial again um and I actually could do more than I thought I could, which was another thing as well. I, I sort of I surprised myself and it was surprising how much my muscles actually remembered. Um, but, you know, it it's still a process, I guess. And it's still, I guess, difficult to like move as much as I would have liked to, to do as much exercise as I would have liked to. Um, but yeah. You know what? What sticks out to me is that, like, before obviously when you're doing all this before your treatment you were so fearless like you'd be yeah. just up you know doing all these things which mm-hmm. as we have mentioned is hardcore stuff like and it was that do you think like treatment sort of and the way it affected your body may, actually made you fear things that you would never have been scared of previously yeah I, I think yes um definitely it did take it, take, it took a bit of my self-confidence away I guess but I think at the time as well, I was having like, a lot of issues at work and um, I was actually like made redundant like yeah. from my job. And um, it was like a really, you know, that I think also took a really big hit on like my self-esteem and yeah, everything sort of related to that. And where I had the outlet, where I had the thing that was making me confident, you know, the pole, like 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 the, the hoop, like all of that stuff, like the roller skating, that was all helping with my confidence but it felt like it had been sort of all taken away from me and almost like I had to rebuild it all over again and relearn my body all over again and relearn like 
how I felt, <laughs> you know, within myself. So I think that was, and it still is kind of like a challenging process. And I think the thing is like, you know, your family, your friends, they like to think that you're better after your treatment finishes. Yeah. But you're not. And as optimistic as that sounds, you know, for you to be better and stuff, actually a lot, I think a lot of the challenge comes you know not just during but it's after yeah I completely agree with everything you've just said there um but I think that's one of the major things that people don't necessarily understand is yeah I've had my diagnosis yeah I've had my treatment um but I think people don't understand that the work actually comes after the treatment Absolutely. Um, and that's when like the real work starts I don't think people realize that um that is that is the hardest part like Gemma said learning to like re-love your body in a way um after all of this like trauma that you've been through you have to try and then start afresh it's crazy yeah 100% yeah no I, I agree with both of you and I think one of the major things that people don't realize is that confidence and the self-esteem and and all of that because you know, people people don't move because uh, some people do, but some movement is not because of the way it makes you look. It's because of the way it makes you feel, and it's your identity, and it's and it's everything that you love. And and to have that stripped from you, it's like it's like you're not even a person anymore. You're just a shell of the person yeah. that you were. And then, like you've both said, it's rebuilding. It's a process. Mm-hmm. It's a marathon, not a sprint, as uh, <laughs> my consultant told me once. Um, and it's so true because it is. And, you know, you every little thing, as you were saying, Gemma, like being able to do that role, it is those small wins that mm-hmm. eventually then get you to a point where you look back and you think, wow, look how far I've come. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing that you both feel like that now because you both like you look both look amazing you've got big smiley faces now um so in terms of like how you're doing now like I bet you look back on that self who was struggling just after treatment and you think but look how far I've come yeah I, th- I think it's managing expectations that's one of the main things I've realized so actually looking before the diagnosis like before that actually looking at what I was doing, I was doing a lot, really, like, you know, I, there probably was an element of burnout involved in all of that. And actually, realizing that maybe that pace that I was going, probably wasn't sustainable. And so actually, in a way, going through, I guess, this process, it's what is my energy kind of worth to me? And you know, how can I, because it's a fatigue is the big aspect, isn't it? It's, you know, an understanding, like actually different types of rest. So, you know, it's not just physical rest. It's not just sort of sitting back, like it's mental rest too. It's letting your brain like sort of be quiet and, you know. <laughs> and, we all need yeah. to learn to do that better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, it's also understanding there's different types of labor involved, too. So you've got the physical like labor, the physical work that you put into things like the emotional work that you put into it, the, you know, the psychological work that you put into it. And that is like one of the lessons that I have learned through going through this process. It's actually I had really high expectations of myself. And even though I would do all these like cool things and stuff on, on the pole, I would look back at videos of myself and I think that's not good enough. 
self-critical exactly yeah I agree with what you said uh before uh, I can't remember now but in terms of like what you said before Sophie about everything's been stripped away from you like I mean you can probably both relate to this like I lost everything like from my job to karate my driving license I've sold my car like uni everything I've lost it and I still haven't got it all back now but I think the one thing I was most frustrated about losing was my confidence and my self-esteem um and it got to the point where I didn't even want to lose the house because I I didn't want to leave the house because I was scared something was going to fall on my head or like something had like come crashing out the sky like just silly things like that that like wouldn't happen on a day-to-day basis but like I'm so even now I'm so like cautious about where I go or like I'm looking up and I'm like I'm I'm like covering my head all the time because <laughs> it's taken that self-confidence away from me even now like nine ten months down the line I still can't quite grasp the fact of what's happened I still don't think it's sunk in about what's happened um or sunk in about the fact that what I've lost but I think it is that sense of like regaining that power back and I think people who haven't been through a similar thing don't understand that and I think it's only people within like this sounds terrible like within like the cancer network that get it um but it is and like everyone else is like oh yeah but you're fine are you fine and this that and the other like I'm not I'm not okay like I look okay on the outside and I'm smiling and I'm doing all this stuff but someone actually said to me the other day they were like oh you're so busy like you must be so much better and all this and I'm like I'm not busy because I'm better I'm being busy so I can keep myself occupied about what's actually happened to me over the past few months like it's it's again I just allowing myself to like be occupied and take what I can and do what I can and just do what I want to do whenever I want to do it do you think both like both your outlooks have changed I know mine's definitely changed I look at life so much differently now like I like say to everyone like I I shouldn't be alive like but I am so I am going to grasp every opportunity and I feel like speaking to you both I have got the impression that you both now you appreciate things you you know what's important and you know learning things like you know Gemma what you said about like learning when enough's enough and you've burnt yourself out and to rest and things like that and it's like you you learn so even though cancer is a horrible thing you still learn a lot from it um Mm. and it does put you I so I I'm a true believer that everything happens for a reason and it sometimes does put you on a path that you obviously you didn't want to be on but look where you are now um, I, I don't know if you both feel the same way but that's sort of the vibe that I'm getting from you both it's completely changed my life uh, like completely I was in a city like two hour two and a half hours away from where I am now um I was working a different job um I was in I don't know a completely different place like in like my mind and with my attitude towards myself um and yeah, like and and now um, I've bought a house, um, and now I'm going to be starting a PhD. Um, you know, I got a, I got a new job, and I'm doing the PhD through that job. So it kind of everything that I don't know. Maybe I've been putting on hold. Who knows? But now it's starting to kind of actualize. Like it's yeah. Oh, good for you. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mel, I know you've, do you know what you said before? You were like, you know, I, the, the confidence, like, so, did you not climb three mountains a few weeks ago? <laughs> so I'm thinking, you said you put yourself down so much and you don't need to because you've literally, look what you're achieving now. Like, please tell people about that because it's just like unreal. Yeah, so um, back in March, I'll start from the beginning. So back in March, um, I hit 12 weeks recovery. And to mark that, I actually walked 12 miles. <laughs> oh, my God, even that. <laughs> <laughs> it's <been> nauseous. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I walked 12 miles to mark 12 weeks recovery. Um, I've organised a music festival at my old high school to raise awareness and money for various charities. Um, I have abseiled the Anglican Cathedral. Um, I have walked the or trekked, shall I say, the Yorkshire. It was Creek. a trek. It was a trek. <laughs> trek it was not a walk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for me now the. The outlook that I'm now having on life, obviously it has changed my perspective on everything that I was doing prior and everything that I'm doing now. But like someone said to me the other day, they were like, you don't have to be such a yes man. Like you don't have to say yes to everything and stuff like that. But I feel like now more than anything, I do have to say yeah, because you only get one life. Like it's you don't know when it's going to end. You don't know when your time's up and all the rest of it. And I think like for me that's one thing that I've took from it like beforehand like someone would be like oh come on let's go and do this and I'd be like oh I can't be bothered I'm too tired whereas now I'm just like yeah come on let's go like what we're waiting for and I feel like now I just have to grasp literally any opportunity and just take it with both hands because you never know you never know what's around the corner I guess yeah did you have a sense of um maybe like wanting to make up for lost time because for me, when I first started to try and when it was like, OK, here you go, no more treatment. Um, I just wanted to get back into everything straight away. And yeah. it was almost like I wanted to get my fill, you know, everything I've been missing out on. Like I wanted to sort of make up for all of that in a way. Yeah, it's it's funny that you say that, actually, because um, between like September and December last year, when I wasn't I wasn't well and I didn't know what was going on, I, I stopped everything. And for me, that was one of the big telltale signs that I wasn't well because I wasn't doing things that I used to enjoy I wasn't like finding pleasure in things I wasn't going to karate I wasn't going out with my friends I wasn't I wasn't socializing and like you said before Sophie it, it just kind of turns you into a shell of who you are um and for me I think I think now like looking back September to December I know I wasn't myself so I think now yeah like you said Gemma I think now it's more like I'm trying to run before I can walk and I'm trying to do all these things and make up for lost time last year that I should have done. And now I'm just like, I want to get back into it. I want to do this, want to do that. And sometimes I need to remember, I just need to slow it down. <laughs> what you've done is incredible though. I, I, I don't think I could do a 12 mile, like this, <laughs> you know, or even Thank begin to much. think where I'd start. But, or, maybe, yeah. or maybe you could, maybe that's something I'll, I'll take away. Yeah. I'll Put your talk. mind to it, Gemma. Yeah. <laughs> do you know one thing that I was this is a really weird one and I've never really spoke like asked this question before but I think you two are the perfect people to ask <laughs> you do you think that it's better to get cancer when you're younger because you then realize how precious life is because obviously when you're older 
you sort of get to a point, I imagine, I don't know, maybe it's not the same for everyone, I'm not painting everyone with the same brush, but it might, you know, you start thinking, oh, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting a bit older now, things are starting to ache, you know, I'm slowing down, I'm tired there. Whereas when you're young, you feel invincible. And sometimes you need something to happen where you realize that you're not invincible and then it does check so you, you it does make you say yes to things and it does I don't know how yeah how do you feel about that both of you I think obviously at any point you get it like life is different at, you know depending on where you're you know where you are like and how old you are and um so see yeah, everyone's experience is different in that I think the thing that will be at the back of my mind is it's the anxiety of yeah. it coming back I think that's the that's the thing um that you know if I had to uh, obviously I've got to live with that you know throughout yeah. my life now so I think that aspect like is sort of negative and getting it when you're younger but I think in terms of where you know you, you feel you can bounce back maybe more easily than you could do if you were sort of you know more like older when you got it so yeah yeah I think for me um what was the question again sorry so, <laughs> so do you think it's sometimes better to get cancer when you're younger because it just it shows you that you're not invincible because when you're young you just think you're invincible um and that nothing can touch you nothing can hurt you you can just do everything and that's that and sometimes it takes something uh, even though cancer is awful and we're not trying to sugarcoat anything it takes something to open your eyes a little bit as to you know how precious life is um a hundred percent so like I was saying before prior to my diagnosis I was working seven days a week I was I would literally come home to sleep. That was it. I'd yeah. come home, I'd sleep, and I'd be back out working or whatever. Um, and I think, like I said before, I thought it was a burnout, so I just went on holiday and thought nothing of it. But I think looking back now, it kind of makes me realise that I'm not invincible, like you say. I'm just a human like everyone else. And I think it does take something like that to happen to you directly. Not, not say, someone in your family. It has to happen to you. And you have to go through that experience or not that it's a good one, but it has to happen to you directly in order for you to then have a different outlook on life. Like my friends have been amazing, don't get me wrong, but um, they don't they don't realise how much my life has changed in the past nine, ten months or whatever it may be. Um, and I think for me, I think that's something that I don't wish it on them obviously I, I don't wish for anyone to get it like if we could get rid of cancer forever the world would be a better place but yeah I think in terms of understanding I don't think people understand the impact that it has especially on young people until it happens to a young person themselves um yeah I yeah. completely agree yeah and pe it's like almost like an arrogance sometimes people don't mean it but it is the arrogance of you have cancer you have your treatment you get better and that is yeah. absolutely not the case whatsoever like I am like three and a half years down the line and I am in a, the worst worst possible state in terms of like my joints being affected by cancer like I've got I've got two ceramic hips and I'm 27 like that is not normal um you know I, I need to 
both shoulders replacing, elbow replacements and so it's not like I just had treatment and then that's it like that's absolutely not the case like you know it's and everyone not everyone's gonna need ceramic hips but but you get that what I'm saying that you know to look at me you'd think oh she's she's fine she's normal she's perfectly healthy she looks great actually what's happening on the inside there's a lot of changes and mentally there's been a lot of changes and there's battles every day that we'll we will go through that people who've not got the experience of it will not understand have you found yourself to be a lot more stronger than you thought you were yeah like we're going through this yeah you like, do, I, do you know what you don't realize how resilient the human body is and how resilient resilient we are as humans like mentally like you know you you what like mel 22 and Gemma. what how old are you i'm 28 I'm, 28 23 <laughs> well happy birthday <laughs> you know 23 28 27 i am like they, that's incredibly young to be dealt this cause and have to go through that and look like look at you two now just speaking so positively about life and being proud of the things that you've done and and understanding that you've still got a long way to go but you know that you will get there and like I just think that you know, you, you have to grow up really fast. And I think you both definitely, you know, have, you you will know, know that you have to do that. You have to grow up really fast. But when you are dealt a card, like cancer, you've just both absolutely, although it's completely turned your life upside down, you've both absolutely grasped the opportunities that it's given you with both hands. And I think for me, that is just so, so inspiring to hear. And I think for all anyone listening to this now will feel, to, whether they've been impacted by cancer or not, will feel totally inspired by the way they look at life because of what you two have been saying um, and that life is really precious. So I think we should finish on just, I've got one last question. <laughs> um, and I touched on it at the beginning because I wanted you to think about it while we were talking. I don't know whether you have, or you've totally forgotten about it. But I mentioned, the, yeah, I thought you might, you know, just think, oh, okay, I'll have to think about that. But what advice would you give to yourself if you could go back and speak to you if you now could speak to yourself when you were diagnosed when you were in that hospital room or wherever you were when you were given that diagnosis what advice would you give to that person I think go on do you want me to go first you go yeah go for it <laughs> um I think I mean I'm gonna start this on a bit of a side note but like when I was first diagnosed I think the first three things that pop into my head straight away was I'm only 22 I see I thought I was too young to get anything like this I didn't know anything about it um the second thing I thought was am I going to die um which is totally uh, normal that's not something to you know that's not a taboo that is normal and then the third thing I thought was oh I'm going to be in hospital over Christmas (laughs) um but I think looking back now and everything that I've uh, managed to do over the last few months and obviously remembering back to being diagnosed I think one thing I would say to myself or anyone else who's going through something similar at this point in time is it gets better and I know sometimes that sounds a bit cliche and people say oh time's the greatest healer and all that but it does get better and like you said before Sophie you don't realize how resilient the human body is and I think one thing I would definitely say is if you know something's wrong or you know a friend that doesn't feel good or isn't 100% in themselves being 
well is just keep pushing to the doctors keep trying to get those answers that you deserve um no one deserves to go through anything like this at any age and i think the more awareness that is made about cancer in young people i think the, the more beneficial it is i think it is still a very taboo subject and topic cancer and young people because before i was diagnosed when i first thought of cancer i thought of death yeah. um but like through meeting other young people and doing the move program and everyone else i've met along the way is it's 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 not it's it's i've heard you say this before sophie it doesn't define your life it's it's like a blip in the road but it doesn't define me i'm not i'm not mel the kid who's had cancer i'm just i'm just mel i'm still me so oh, yeah, i love that keep pushing yeah i love that and Gemma, what about you I, th- I think similar to Mel, it's the trusting your intuition um, because you know your body and you know what's going on. Like, well, you might not know directly what's going on inside of you, but you know that something's not right. And I think it's having faith in yourself um, and I guess, yeah, p- pushing, <laughs> keep pushing for it, keep pushing for the answer um because eventually you will get it like the answer you know that you're that you're looking for um and i i think also um if i could go back and sort of speak to myself it's your feelings are valid and because throughout the process it's you know you ride this roller coaster you know not just you know through finding out you know what it is or not just through the treatment and it's it's after as well and you're still riding those highs and those lows of those emotions and it's being able to sort of feel like feel them and know that they are you know these these feelings are valid and you know you're not alone like in that so oh I love that as well that was both amazing (laughs) advice Um, and I hope that you know, there may be someone listening to this who's maybe recently been diagnosed. Um, they might just take that piece of advice what you've just both given. Um, so thank you both very much for joining us. This was a great, great episode to record. And um, yeah, I'm sure everyone will who's listening will join me in saying, you know, best of luck with everything that you go on to do. You will both smash life by the sounds of what you've been saying today. Um so yeah just good luck with everything that you do and and keep on being amazing because that's what you both are. Thank you again for listening to the Move Against Cancer podcast. You can subscribe to the show on our website, movecharity.org, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please don't forget to give us a five-star review in the app if you enjoyed the show. And thank you once again to our guests, Mel and Gemma. We'll be back soon for another episode.